This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're joined now, now by Noah Shack, UJA Federation Vice President, countering anti-Semitism and hate. Noah, I wish we were speaking under better circumstances, but I do appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. As do I, and I appreciate the conversation. Uh, so, Noah, uh, I, you know, I've been pretty vocal this morning. It has felt uh, like a positive indicator that the police and that various levels of um, the justice system are marshalling their resources to come together and um, and solve what they are already saying is a hate crime. Yeah, look, we've seen uh, an escalation over the last three months of hate crimes targeting the Jewish community. Uh, there's been an explosion of hate targeting Jewish people in our city, uh, everywhere, in the streets, in the workplace, on university campuses, and in our schools. And this is the latest incident, and I, I agree with you. I, it's deeply appreciated that the police are referring to this as a tipping point uh, and are, are committed to leave no stone unturned in, in this investigation. Uh, truly a frightening incident for the community and, and for all of us, frankly, as Torontonians. You know, we, we've we've watched as uh, protests have sort of morphed from, you know, pro-Palestinian, um, uh, so people championing the, the, the rights of, of the Palestinian people to what feels like uh, protests that are more geared towards attacking and intimidating the Jewish people. More precisely, they're, they're targeting Jews where they live now. Do you think that they're, do you think it's a coincidence that we've seen We've seen the, the, the protests move north and, and this, this firebombing incident. Listen, um, what starts with hateful words all too often leads to hateful acts. Um, we've just seen a Jewish-owned deli in North York uh, attacked with arson, uh, having its windows broken, and the phrase Free Palestine spray-painted across its back door. Um, this is clearly something that is an escalation in terms of the hate that's been uh, expressed towards the Jewish community. And it's, it's something that really should concern us all. It's not just an attack on the Jewish community. It's an attack on our values as Torontonians. Look, every Canadian has the right to live free from hate. And every Canadian has a responsibility to take a stand and speak up and out against hate. And right now is a, an opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a, the police called it. It's a tipping point. Mm. It's a time for all of us to reflect on that and say, you know, where do we stand in the face of this? And what are we going to say in the face of this? Because we all have a responsibility to, to stand up for the kind of city we want to live in. Well, what, what I find frustrating, Noah, is sort of in war, as is the case uh, on the other side of the world, it's, it, it's War is a binary choice, right, between one side and the other. But living in Canada doesn't have to be that binary choice. You can have a position on the the war of Israel versus Hamas and still believe that uh, the Muslim community deserves respect as well as the Jewish community. And I don't know that that respect is being afforded to Jews across this city. I don't know why it's so hard for people to see that it is not a binary choice as it relates to innocent and ordinary, everyday Torontonians of the Jewish faith. That's right. This has nothing to do with the war that's taking place between Israel and Hamas half a world away. This is hate targeting Jewish people in the city of Toronto, period. And, and we can't allow that to be tolerated. We can't allow that to continue to escalate and for people to increasingly feel unsafe and be unsafe in the city of Toronto. Um, this is something that is spilling over from 
protests downtown uh, in proximity to the the Israeli consulate uh, into neighborhoods and 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 taking a real ugly turn. Um, we all saw the protests intimidating children on Santa's lap uh, in the lead up to Christmas. You know, it's 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 truly frightening um, the extent that some of these some of these protesters are willing to go um, to to vent hate, it seems. And and I think we all have a responsibility and a duty, whether we're an elected official or or we're just a, a normal person going about our daily lives to take stock of this and to make it clear to those around us that this is not something that we're going to accept. We will not tolerate hate in the city of Toronto. Anywhere else in Canada, I'm matter. speaking with Noah Shack, UJA Federation Vice President for Countering Anti-Semitism and Hate. And Noah, I have to assume that as somebody in your position, uh, you are fairly well versed on the history of anti-Semitism and of hate. And, you know, we we have seen this sort of thing before the fires, the, the burning down of, of Jewish businesses, the marginalization of Jewish people, uh, the dehumanization of them. This is not this is not a new script. And in the old script that, that we've seen before, what, what comes next if not countered by, by law and by justice? What, what happens next? Uh, well, I have to tell you, you know, we, I, I recently saw a video of uh, the former chief rabbi of Berlin, uh, who was the chief rabbi there in, in the lead up to the Holocaust. And he was uh, speaking in this video at a civil rights protest in the United States in the 1950s. And he was very clear. The, having lived through the, one of the most horrific and horrifically unimaginable periods of hate in our human history, he said the biggest threat that we have, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, the biggest threat we face isn't hatred and it isn't bigotry. It's silence. And if, if good people do nothing and are silent and passive, the hate gains steam. It snowballs and it gets to a point where it's very difficult to manage if not impossible to manage. That's what we saw in Europe in the 1930s, and it led to Europe in the 1940s with the Holocaust. I'm not saying that we're on the cusp of a Holocaust here in Toronto in 2024, but as we begin the new year, it's an opportunity for all of us to reflect on, on, on that silence that often exists in the face of hate and resolve to speak out and to stand up to make sure that we don't give any quarter to hate targeting Jewish people or anybody else for yeah. that matter in our society. Uh, Noah, what, what does it mean uh, to, to you uh, that I'm, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the prime minister's Twitter feed and I'm not seeing anything, not a, not a word about, uh, about this firebombing, uh, not a word of uh, support for the community. It, it, to me, it's disheartening. Uh, and I wouldn't care whether the prime minister was liberal, conservative, NDP, communist fascist <laughs> i wouldn't i, I would i want to see some sort of full-throated support of of a marginalized community going through a difficult time and i'm not seeing anything look now's the time for leaders of all stripes in all quarters whether it's political leaders or other other leaders in our society to make it clear what kind of a society we want to live in do we want to live in a society where these kinds of things are shrugged off where jewish delis jewish owned delis can be firebombed without uh, uh, people uh, taking note and being unequivocal in terms of, of what, uh, what that represents for our society, for the Jewish community and for our broader society, um, or, 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 or not. I mean, this is, this is really important that, that we have everybody speaking out together 
uh, and leaving no daylight between us um, in the face of this hate. Uh, Noah, before uh, we leave you, let me ask you about what, uh, like, how, how are you communicating with the police on this? Are, are they keeping you abreast of the investigation? Yeah, we're in very close communication with the police, and we, and we definitely appreciate uh, their deployment of, of, of resources uh, to investigate this, this hate, what appears to be a hate-motivated crime uh, targeting a Jewish-owned business. Not the first hate-motivated crime targeting a Jewish business in Toronto since October 7th. Uh, this is just the latest, and and of course, an arson uh, is a is a serious escalation in terms of the the hate and intimidation that's threatening Jewish business owners and uh, the people who are are going to their places of business, whether to buy groceries or get a cup of coffee or buy a book. Um, you know, these are these are scary times, not just for the business owners, but also for ordinary Canadians just trying to go in and, and live their lives. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. James Pasternak, City Councilor for Ward 6, York Centre, who joins us now. Um, Mr. Councilor, thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome, Ben. Good to hear you. I I really do appreciate what you wrote. I like calling things what they are. Uh, We are shocked and appalled of the attack on IDF Foods at Petroleum Steels. This is a hate-motivated attack on a Jewish-owned business. Its links to the anti-Israel mob are confirmed with graffiti on the wall. This escalation of lawlessness in Toronto must come to an end. Um, Sometimes politicians hedge. Sometimes they couch what they feel in the most diplomatic terms possible. This is fairly direct, sir. Oh, there's no doubt. This this attack on a Jewish-owned business uh, with hateful graffiti on the side has all the markings for a hate crime. And it's the latest escalation of the hate that's growing in our city. It's shocking. It's disgusting. It's appalling. And it's criminal. And the perpetrators must be found and charged to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, the, the honesty of your tweet is mirrored in the, um, the full-throated um, uh, desire by the Toronto Police Service to see justice done here. Are you in communication with the police at this point? Yeah, we have a very good relationship with uh, police services. The communication lines are always open. Uh, they've come to uh, many of our town halls in York Centre and beyond to explain uh, their approach to the uh, angry mobs, the hateful mobs that are growing in our city and their response to it. So police have been pretty good. It's important to realize that our police services are way under-resourced yeah. to handle uh, this kind of activity this kind of hate activity. And I think the OPP has to step in and help backstop and support our police services. Um, one of the things that always needs to be said is hate of any kind against any group cannot be tolerated. But in the case of anti-Semitism, it has been the most reported hate crime in Toronto for more than five years. So it is the, the there are more hate crimes against Jews in this city than, than against any other group. And Jews do not re- represent that big of a slice of the population. So it's more hate crimes on fewer people. So while all hate crimes are uh, to, to be disavowed, this, this, this is a case of more against fewer people. It, it does deserve our attention. Talk to me about the impact that these crimes, that this, the chill that it creates on a community. You're up there a lot. You spend time in that ward. What is it like for the people living in that community? Well, first of all, uh, criminal acts like this, including the ongoing mobs that are taking over our streets, is extremely damaging to the overall temperament of the city of Toronto. It's an embarrassment worldwide. It creates fear. It hurts business. It hurts tourism. 
Uh, it drains political uh, uh, police resources. If your 911 calls are not being answered on a timely basis, it's because of the enormous resources that has to go into controlling uh, these hate rallies. You know, the, the community is shocked and, and, and upset. I mean, Toronto has always been a welcoming place to the world where people could come here from everywhere across the globe, start their lives anew, flee conflict zones, flee hate, flee violence, and look what's going on in our streets. And it's, and it's, it's just shocking. But we, we, uh, we hear sometimes, you know, we, we saw that video of the, uh, the, 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 the member of the mob inside the Eaton Center threatening to put somebody six feet, deep, six feet deep right in front of a police officer. And the justification we heard as to why that person wasn't arrested is they didn't want to escalate. Now, I appreciate the logic of that. However, if you don't do anything in those moments, the escalation is going to happen anyway because those people are going to feel that they can get away with more. So you're either going to take matters into your own hands and, and arrest the person then, or you're going to witness an escalation happening because you do nothing. So as somebody who speaks with the police, have you had that conversation with them? Have you asked them why the rubber hasn't met the road in a more forceful way? Well, clearly, uh, if we have if we have law and order, if we have rule of law in this country and this city, there has to be consequences when you break those laws. And and right now, what what's being perceived is there's no consequences. These uh, hate rallies that have been taking place uh, across the city for the last two and a bit months. Uh, have broken numerous provincial, federal uh, statutes, as well as municipal bylaws. And there's been almost no, no consequences. Now, that being said, the number of arrests did start spiking up in November, uh, where people were starting to be arrested for these crimes. But what's even more shocking than that is the fact that these angry mobs were clustering and mobbing around Jewish-owned businesses, shouting, Zionist, Zionist, boycott, boycott. So these, this firebombing of a Jewish-owned store is really the tragic next stage of that escalation. And, and we, need, we need all the resources we have, not just on policing, but in the criminal justice system, to make sure that the force of the law is applied in this case. Do, do, you, do you think, uh, James Pasternak, and thank you so much for joining us, do you think that it's going to take, because these, these mobs are not going to stop congregating, and now they're starting to congregate where Jews live and pray and work and, um, and, and feel safe and feel at home. Is it going to take a massive show of force by the police to, to, to disrupt that sentiment that they can drop in wherever they want, whenever they want, and say whatever they want and do whatever they want? Is it, is it going to take a disruption by the police to change this dynamic? Well, clearly we need, we have an under-resourced police force we need the OPP to come in and backstop it. We have a hate rallies policy at the city of Toronto, which the public service are not enforcing. And of course, we need changes in various statutes to, to meet this threat. And we need that from both the federal government and the provincial government. And also, we need everybody to speak out. You said at the top of, the, of this interview, people are not speaking out against this hate the way they should. And we need a unified voice, an unequivocal voice condemning it all. What, what I don't understand, uh, Mr. Pasternak, is that there are some who believe that to stand here and say that what is happening to the Jewish community is unacceptable is somehow creating a binary choice between uh, upholding the, the rights of Jews and the rights of anybody else. It is not a binary choice. Everybody deserves 
that everybody well, deserves that that sense of safety and sense of respect. We are not in a war zone. It it is not a binary choice between two competing sides, and I don't understand why it's so hard for certain people to appreciate. Well, you're absolutely right. What on earth does a deli uh, in North York in my riding have to do? with the war in Gaza. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous that this store was attacked, uh, firebombed in the middle of the night with hateful graffiti on the side of the building um, based on a world conflict zone 10,000 miles away. I mean, it is just outrageous, the linkage, to make this, this crazy linkage uh, between world conflict zones, which we're trying to escape, and, and small businesses here in, in the city just trying to survive um, is it, it defies logic. Have you had a chance to speak with the owners of of the deli? I haven't. They're on my call list today, uh, but I, ha- I haven't uh, been able to reach them. They have a lot on their mind these days. I have. I have no doubt. Um, James Pasternak, uh, I am sure that your words on Twitter and you coming on here and speaking with uh, the clarity. Uh, that I think this deserves is going to go a long way to making people feel like a little sanity is being brought back into this equation. So thank you very much. I know you got a very busy day and we appreciate your time today. No, you're very welcome, Ben. Take care. All the best. All the best. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. You know, every now and then you meet a person who uh, is so good at what they do. It's like a hand in a glove, right? It's uh, the, the message and the messenger they meet and they... When you when you see what they do, it's it's poetry. And that is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the truth about our next guest. Alan Cross is a broadcaster with Q107 and 102.1 The Edge, a commentator for Global News. And he uh, he has he knows more about music than any person has the right to know. And he 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 gives it to us every day in a way where I say to myself, I didn't even know I needed to know that. And I'm so glad I know it now. Alan, thank you so much for being here. Happy New Year. Well, thanks so much. Wow, what a what an introduction! I'm going to have to live up to that. No, no listen, we'll, we'll we'll send you the tape, and, and and anytime you walk in a room, just play it on your phone. Just play <laughs> it on your phone. No, but seriously, man, it's 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 a real treat to talk to you. Uh, I come in the radio station every morning, and I can hear you on, and 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 I don't even know. Before we get into your predictions, how do you pick what you're going to talk about? How do you decide where the value is in some of these almost like micro stories that you find? I have no idea. I do this twenty. I do this twenty four seven, and I always have this thing in the pit of my stomach that I remember from high school, when it's Sunday night and I have a ten page essay due <laughs> the next morning, and I haven't started on it yet. So, it's it's fear of running out of things to talk about that keeps me going forward. Well, I was so excited to to read your piece on the Global News website because I'm always so keen to get your insights on what has come before in music. And on this piece that's still available on the Global News site, it's all about what to look forward to uh, this year. And there's a few things that I really think uh, deserve uh, a couple of minutes each. Uh, The first is this notion that you talk about music is being distorted by algorithms. What do you mean by that? An algorithm looks at what you listen to on a streaming music service, analyzes what you seem to enjoy, and then serves you up more of that stuff, which is fine to a point, because if you're into a certain type of uh, rock or hip hop or country or pop, you'll get more of that sound and hopefully you'll like it. The problem is that you're only given material that the algorithm thinks that you're going to like. So you end up in this bubble uh, 
Yeah. That never really gets much bigger. It's just more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, which is fine. But if you want to be a, you know, a, a growing, evolving music fan, you got to step outside that comfort zone. And the way we used to get music or discover music in a large way was to be unintentionally exposed to music against our will. Yep. Oh, I, uh, Alan, you're you're speaking my language. I have described this experience many times that if there was a song on a much music countdown that you wanted to hear, you would have to listen to the entire countdown until it got to the song that you liked, which meant chances were you were going to hear a song that you either didn't know or didn't like or didn't know that you liked. Right. And the weird thing is that after you, you might not like a song the first time you hear it or the second time or the third, or even the fourth. But then after that, the penny might just drop, and you yeah. go, you know what? <laughs> this is actually pretty good. That takes time, that takes patience, that takes discipline, that takes luck, that takes, uh, again, unintentional uh, exposure to something before you figure it out. And, and so you, and so you think that this is going to translate long-term into different types of um, sort of music fans, like the, the people who have only been exposed to music through an algorithm, are they going to become different types of music purveyors? We're, we're starting to see it already where music has no center anymore. There is no consensus about music anymore. Uh, you know, if you were growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you turn on the radio, you turn on much music, and you saw what everybody was yeah. into and was listening to. And there would be records and, and albums and CDs that you would have to run out and get because everybody else have, was running out and getting those records. That culture has, has disappeared. Yeah. And we are all our own music directors. We have um, <laughs> complete control over everything that we listen to, which is great. But what it has resulted in is big acts, maybe outside of Taylor Swift and Beyonce, the big acts today are much smaller than the big acts in the past. There's no one out there that everybody needs to listen to like there had been in the past. And a lot of that has to do with streaming, uh, smartphones, and algorithms. I am talking to Alan Cross about what to look forward to this year in music. And I, I, I am proudly not on TikTok, which means I don't know anything about TikTok music. You think that it's a game changer. It could be. Now, TikTok is obviously short form video with uh, soundtracks added to it. So somebody's doing a crazy dance, somebody's doing something weird. They put a, you know, a, a piece of copyrighted music with it. Uh, if you, a lot of people are discovering music through TikTok this way. Like, oh, you know, there's a guy riding a skateboard and drinking some cranberry juice. And that song in the background is Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. I would like to know, I would like to hear the whole right. song. Right, yeah. So yeah. What, what you end up doing is leaving TikTok, going to another streaming music service, and being able to hear that whole song. TikTok has a situation right now where if you hear a song in a video, you can save it for listening later on the streaming music uh, service of your choice, which is which is nice. Yep. But what TikTok wants to do is get into the streaming business on its own. There are three or four countries around the world that have TikTok music running right now. Uh, there's Australia, there's uh, Indonesia, Brazil, India, and I think Mexico. That's going to drop like a bomb in places like uh, in the United States and Canada. Right. So if, if you don't have to leave TikTok right. to hear a full song anymore. Then you're never going to leave TikTok. 
then you're never going to leave TikTok. <laughs> and, 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 and that is a binary choice, right? For every second that you spend on TikTok, that's a second you're not on another app. And there's only a finite amount of time in the day. So for those people who are most comfortable living their lives through TikTok, that is going to change a lot of things, even for the big streaming services, I got to think. Yeah, it probably will. Now, TikTok is an absolute monster. It remains one of the most downloaded apps every month, month after month after month. Uh, it's owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, and um, it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're, they're looking to evolve, but they're a true internet unicorn of the 21st century. Yeah. Alan, I wish we could uh, spend more time speaking. I hope, I hope you'll, you'll join us again one day to talk about all things music, because I could do this all day. Anytime. All right. And you can subscribe to Alan's ongoing History of New Music podcast now, and you can hear it right here on 640 Toronto. Check out his blog, a journal of musical things.com.